the SEC couldn't be more than thrilled to have Oklahoma and Texas coming to the conference in the next couple of years. We'll talk about that as well as what can we expect from Jeff Levy's offense as far as running the football goes and more on today's episode of Locked On Sooners. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Sooner Nation. Welcome to Locked On Sooners. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. We'd like to thank LinkedIn Jobs for being the official college football recruiting sponsor across the Locked On College Network. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you for joining us. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. You can follow the show on Twitter at Locked On Sooners and on Facebook, Locked On Sooners Podcast. And joining me as he does every day is Josh Helmer from 94.7 The Ref in Norman. You can listen to him Monday through Friday from 9 to noon. You can also follow him on Twitter at Josh on Ref. Josh, how was your weekend? Anything big happening in Norman right now? Oh, it's always going down in Norman, Oklahoma. I mean, come on. The weekend was good. Hope you've had a nice weekend as well. The SEC media days, it's interesting, isn't it, in 2022? And, well, you know, a little bit last year, I guess, as well, too. But definitely this year, you're you're very dialed in to what is being said, what is getting talked about at SEC media days in a league that Oklahoma, they aren't joining just yet but there's still some talk about Oklahoma and when they will join the SEC what about Texas when will they join the SEC and all these different head coaches kind of getting peppered with questions about OU and Texas so it kind of raises the antennas if you will for you for myself for Oklahoma fans what are these folks talking about and the number one thing from SEC media days that really jumped out was something we've spent a lot of time right here talking about and it's not just you and I I think that this has been a popular topic among Oklahoma fans I think it's been a popular Oklahoma media topic in general Oklahoma and Arkansas right fostering this type of rivalry now and into the future once once Oklahoma joins the SEC well if you're rooting for that to happen you've got a pretty important endorser I would say of said rivalry Sam Pittman he was up there talking at SEC Media Days about how he he welcomes, he wants OU in Texas in an Arkansas pod if and when that happens, and he wants it with Missouri. So a couple of things here. First off, good for you, Sam Pittman. We're like-minded. I would love to see that too with Oklahoma and Arkansas and Texas. And then secondly, John, does Sam Pittman know something already that the rest of us don't know? You got to think that he – I mean, he's obviously part of the – even if he's not a part of the discussion, he's definitely in the know as far as what his athletic director and president are discussing with the SEC as they look at what a 16-team conference is going to look like and how they formulate their schedules. I mean, the topic of conversation, as you mentioned, the 3-6 model has been what has become the most popular model for the future SEC. And, I mean, he mentioned Oklahoma. Eli Drinkwitz from Missouri also mentioned Oklahoma. And so there's a good chance that those – are going to be two of Oklahoma's permanent rivals. And we know that Texas is going to be as well because you're not getting rid of Red River every single year. That's going to be a cash cow for the SEC. 
for the ESPN, you know, the, the media rights deal. So that's going to happen every single year. So you can check that one off the list. Arkansas to me makes the next most sense because it's just right there. If you're looking for a regional rival that you, you need to kind of replace with Bedlam going away, Arkansas. I mean, that's a, a program with a very rabid fan base. It's local. Like I'm an hour 15, an hour 30 from Fayetteville. Norman's what, four hours? maybe four and a half hours from Fayetteville. So that's a pretty easy get to, and it's a great town. It, you know, it's got a great, you know, football history, a great stadium, great fans. I think it makes a ton of sense. I, I love it. I really hope that that's the way it works out. Now, whether Arkansas, Missouri works out, that'll be a question because I think that Arkansas LSU thing is pretty tight. Like they've got a lot of, I don't want to, maybe it's animosity. I don't follow the rivalry very closely, but, I mean, they definitely have – there's a lot of, like, fire to that game that occurs every single year too. So I'm, I've am i been on board with either Oklahoma – or, sorry, with our, either Arkansas, Texas, and Texas A&M. But I think the thing that makes the most sense is Missouri, Texas, and Arkansas as Oklahoma's three permanent rivals down the road. Well, and we'll see. I mean, there is a scenario out there to where it's not, quote-unquote, pods – and it is three permanent opponents for each team that isn't a pod format. So hypothetically, Arkansas could be in a permanent opponent situation that is Oklahoma, Texas, and LSU. That's a possibility. That is a little more complicated, I think, to make everything work. Uh, you know, to me, that takes, you know, smarter minds than maybe the time that I'm willing to commit to trying to you know, put all these puzzle pieces together, at least right here, right now, this evening and uh, this morning. But there is that possibility. Technically, uh, you don't have to have everybody operate out of a pod system. You can have it be three permanent opponents and then rotate uh, through the other six. But interesting. I just thought it really did catch my attention that Sam Pittman was pretty positive about both Oklahoma and Texas. Again, like maybe he knows that that's not too far away, not too far off in the distant future for Arkansas that they're going to be playing Oklahoma and Texas on a regular basis. And we did see, I got to agree with Sam Pittman in this regard too. We saw that Arkansas crowd love, love, right? Welcoming in Texas. Now it didn't hurt that they smacked Texas down in that game from down there in Fayetteville, but you can tell that was a fan base that was kind of chomping at the bit to welcome Texas down into Fayetteville. So I can see that being a natural type rivalry as well. And, you know, there's history there between those two. Yeah. And just from my wife, who's kind of from the Eastern Oklahoma half, Arkansas and Oklahoma, they have this natural, yeah, just rivalry, animosity. Just, you know, you make jokes about people from Arkansas if you're from Oklahoma and vice versa, uh, you know, in, in good jest, but it's kind of like, you know, Oklahomans view Arkansas as kind of the hillbillies a little bit. Um, whether that's, I don't think that's completely accurate, but it's just kind of the the general feel that you get out in Eastern Oklahoma, and so I think it just makes the game that more that much more interesting. Um, knowing that they share a border, I think it, it makes it something that could be a lot of fun. Like you know, the the it's not a natural rival. They've played I think fewer than twenty times in their history, but given time, I think that's one that could become a really, really fun game for both sides. Kind of like Texas A&M and LSU has become, you know, it's become a really good game and a really fun kind of atmosphere for both sides. I think that the same thing could, could be the case for Oklahoma and 
Arkansas. I, I, I think it's going to be in a similar sense. You know, that Texas game against Arkansas was just after hearing, um, I think within the last, you know, a month prior, a month and a half prior, that Texas and Oklahoma were going to go to the SEC. So Fayetteville was a little bit more fired up, like, hey, you're coming? All right, here, here you go. This is going to be a taste of what SEC football is like. And it definitely put, uh, you know, Texas fans and the big, you know, Oklahoma to an extent on notice, although Oklahoma's got its ex- own experience with the SEC over the last decade. So it, it's going to be fun, man. However it lines up, it's going to be a ton of fun. We've talked about that a ton on the show. It's like every week there's going to be some kind of marquee matchup. And I've done a lot of the work, and I've kind of gone through so many different revisions on what a three-by-six model looks like. And you're right. It's a painstaking process that I do not um, envy the person in the SEC uh, commissioner's office that's trying to figure out how to make this all work together because it is. It's painstaking, like, in several drafts, I had Tennessee playing four different teams. I had, you know, Kentucky left out. I had, you know, I had South Carolina playing Missouri as a permanent rival. I'm like, none of that makes sense. So you definitely have to go back to the drawing board quite a bit on it. But I think the one that makes the most sense for Oklahoma specifically is Missouri, who they've played more than 90 times in their history, old big eight rival, Arkansas, who they share a border with, and obviously Texas, one of the greatest rivalries in all of college football. Yeah, and, and all of that makes sense. You know, A&M, obviously, you would consider just because of the, you know, experience and familiarity with one another, too. But I can certainly entertain Missouri there being a little bit more history, obviously, between Oklahoma and Missouri. And for that reason, maybe you pair up Oklahoma and Missouri up. Whatever it is, just get, just give Oklahoma fans Arkansas. Arkansas and Texas and whatever the rest – shakes out like totally fine with it how about you know maybe this is a conversation for later in the week but it's like every head coach was getting asked about OU Texas in some regard it wasn't just on the hey what do you think about Oklahoma and Texas coming to the league Sam Pittman it was once again a Lane Kiffin get up there on the soapbox well do they know how difficult it's going to be in the SEC Lane how about you focus on getting Jackson Dart ready to play and stop giving OU advice on how to how to win football games. I remember your USC tenure, unlike maybe some other folks. Yeah, and Oklahoma's experience against the SEC, while a little bit mixed based on the college football playoff experience, I mean, they've got several bowl wins. They've got the wins over Tennessee. They'll be just fine when they get there. Are they going to be still a tier below Alabama? Of course, but everybody in the in the country is. And so we've talked about that, like, whether you're in the SEC or you're in the Big 12, who are you still chasing? It's Alabama, to an extent, Georgia. But right below Alabama and Georgia, I mean, you're right there in the mix with LSU, with Florida, with Auburn, with Texas A&M. Like, think of your, your next best teams in the SEC, and Oklahoma's going to be right in there. But we'll definitely dive into that a little bit more later in the week. But let me talk to you about LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs is back in business, making it easier for you to grow your team. It helps you find the people you want to interview faster and for free. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. Then add your job and the purple hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring so your network can help you find the right people to hire. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. 
LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to you faster. Did you know every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Well, post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That's linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And thanks so much for making Locked On Sooners your first listen every single day. We're free and available on all podcast platforms, including YouTube. Make sure you go subscribe to the channel over there. Let us know what you think would be the best permanent rival situation for Oklahoma, for Texas, for Texas A&M, for Arkansas. We'd love to hear your breakdown of how the SEC should look moving forward. But now we want to talk about a piece that was written uh, by Pickle. I'm blanking on his first name now. Joe Pickle? from on three who wrote a piece or did a video actually on the on three YouTube channel. And uh, basically about Oklahoma is going to begin to run the rock. They're going to pound the rock more under Brent Venables than they did under Lincoln Riley. And Josh, I just kind of wanted to get your impressions. Like what kind of your big takeaway from that? Well, first off pickle is a great last name to have any first name with. It could be Dave pickle. It could be Jeff pickle. It could be Ryan pickle. I mean, any first name would work for, pickle there my first impression with Oklahoma running the rock that being sort of the bread and butter of Jeff Levy how different do you think that is from what Oklahoma's been doing because you know in the past I've heard plenty of Oklahoma voices that really I put a lot of stock into I'm thinking most notably uh, in one Teddy Lehman who I don't know how many different times I heard him talk about hey, it's this counter-run game that is Oklahoma's bread-and-butter offense under Lincoln Riley. That's what makes everything else go. If Oklahoma can't run the football and can't run that play effectively, then the rest of this Lincoln Riley offense, it's not going to be as effective. All of a sudden, the play-action pass game dries up a little bit, and that free-flowing offense for Oklahoma that gets up and down and scores a bunch of points, all of a sudden, they're, they're held in neutral a little bit. So, I think maybe the natural reaction for a lot of people will be see that headline, think about what they're saying over at on three and, you know, look, Hey, I would love for the identity of Oklahoma football to be, we, we want to ground and pound. We want to turn and hand off right up the gut to Eric Gray, to Marcus major, to Javante Barnes, to Gavin Sachuk, to you name it, running back, right? Whichever running back you want to toss into the mix. And that's it. Oklahoma downhill running scheme. Okay, they'll bounce it outside here and there. They'll get playmakers like an Eric Gray, like, you know, anybody in their running back room. They'll find ways to get them out in space at times too. But generally speaking, downhill, they want to be physical at the point of attack. And really that's Oklahoma's kind of, that's their identity offensively. And then sort of that trickles down or spills over onto the defensive side of the football too, right? Like I think that's everybody's ideal vision for Oklahoma football is a physical football team. And yet, isn't that in some ways, at least what I've been told in the past, Oklahoma was trying to do offensively. I don't know if necessarily that really was their identity. It felt like a lot of people, John, kind of, didn't really view Oklahoma in that sense, maybe viewed Oklahoma under Lincoln Riley as more of a finesse type football team. So listen, anything that gets Oklahoma into being a physical brand of football. And I think that starts with being great rushing the football, great with your offensive line. 
if there is a little bit of a departure here for Oklahoma in that regard with Jeff Lepi, then I guess my first reaction is, even though some have told me Oklahoma's been based on their ability to run the football under Lincoln Riley, eh, at times maybe they were a little bit finesse, and I welcome the physicality. I think you hit it right on the nail there. It's a, it, it was a finesse running game. You know, when you're trying to get outside the tackles, you're, you're trying to create kind of mismatches on the outside against linebackers, defensive backs with your big guys, but you're trying to find space. You know, teams like Alabama, you know, they're running at you. Yes, they run some counters. They're going to run, you know, wide zone. They're going to run off tackle. But they're running a lot of dive, too. They're running a lot of stuff in between the guard and the tackle at your defensive tackles, at your defensive ends. They're not necessarily just trying to find the mismatches on the outside in the running game. And I think that's going to be an important distinction because Lincoln Riley did run the football. Like, it wasn't that he didn't run the football. I mean, you know, I looked at college football reference before we jumped on the show. He ran the football 52% of the time last year, 5.5 yards per carry. You know, if they took that pace, if they took Ole Miss's play pace, you know, Ole Miss ran the football 45.2 times per game last year just because they run a ton of plays. If they ran at the same rate and they ran the same number of plays that Ole Miss ran, they would have averaged 248 yards per game. But they only averaged like 180 yards per game because they ran fewer plays. But I think some of it is coming back to what you're talking about, that the identity of this team was very finesse-oriented. And, and it worked at times. Like, let's not completely throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I appreciate kind of Brent Venables and where he's coming from on some of this. Like, there was a lot of good things that happened under Lincoln Riley. Was it all great? No. Was it all perfect? Absolutely not. Did they, you know, look like a team that was slightly getting worse um, at, over the last couple of seasons? Maybe. I think you can make that argument or you could at least make the argument that the big 12 was catching up to what he was wanting to do offensively. And I think, yeah, what we're going to see under Levy is going to be more kind of right at you. I mean, the passing game, they're going to throw the ball a lot too, but old miss, they ran the football 57% of the time last year. And it, you know, Matt Corral ran the ball a lot, but it wasn't like he was running the ball more than Caleb Williams was running the ball. Ole Miss just decided we're going to run the football. And they had a, a good quarterback, Matt Corral, who at one point in time was considered a top 50, top 60 pick in the NFL draft for 2022. They had a pretty good wide receiver on the outside in Dontario Drummond. But I think Jeff Levy, being a former offensive lineman, he wants to establish an identity that's going to be coming at you and run the football. What do offensive linemen say is the easiest thing to do when you're blocking? It's run block. It's a lot harder to pass block than it is to run block because you can – you're dictating what's happening as opposed to pass block. You're waiting and sitting back to see what the, the rush is going to do. So, yeah, I'm with you. I think creating a more downhill style, a more physical running style, which would suit a guy like Marcus Major and Javante Barnes quite well, and getting away from some of the we've got to get the football to the outside to take advantage of the smaller defensive backs to, to muddy up the linebackers, things like that. Yeah, let's run. Let's run a ton more dive. Let's run a ton more, you know, guard tackle stuff. You know, let's run right at them. Now it's going to be difficult against teams like Baylor, West Virginia, but you still got to do it because I think what that does is it helps open things up on the outside and it helps open up your play action game a little bit more as well. But I think this is going to be a more of a running team. I don't think it'll necessarily be in a more efficient running team. I think it'll just they'll run it more. And they'll run it right at you know the the defensive line. 
So they may not pick up as many big gash plays like they did with Kennedy Brooks when they were running that guard tackle counter. But I think the the way it's going to be effective is in wearing down the opposition so that they can get bigger plays later in the game. You know, as I sit here and reflect on some of what we've talked about here and some of the items that you're, you're discussing right there, did, did Oklahoma have an offensive identity under Lincoln Riley? And that's not to, you know, I don't, again, just want to be this guy that kicks Lincoln Riley when he's down and out of Norman town, you know, I, I don't want to be that guy, but you know, the last couple of seasons, I think it's fair to kind of ask, okay, offensively, what was OU's identity? It makes sense with Jalen Hurts that things pivoted right to a little bit more quarterback, you know, power run game. That makes sense because that's the personnel that you had. Spencer Rattler, I think they tried to get back to some of the things that made them successful early in the Lincoln Riley era and, you know, kind of had mixed results at that. And then obviously last year, I don't know what the identity was offensively for Oklahoma. So if there's one thing we can say that we could be hopeful for with Jeff Levy and with what on three is touching on right here, a defined identity, I think will be positive for Oklahoma want to get downhill and want to run a lot of plays, John. So I think uh, that could be good for OU. We got to talk before we get out of here a little bit about wide receivers, right? What is Jaleel Farouk? What does his future with Oklahoma entail? There's been a lot of people, John, a lot of folks that like Jaleel Farouk. You're looking at one of them, myself included, that likes Jaleel Farouk as a breakout candidate. Let's discuss that. First, though, let me tell you real quick, home field apparel. We've been telling you every time we reconvene to do this show, we love home field apparel. We love their vintage marks. Retro gear, that's uh, that's right up my alley, baby. And they've got 15 different pieces of retro gear. T-shirts, hoodies, crewnecks, all of your vintage marks. And as I've told you time and time again, ladies and gents, new customers, 15% off your first purchase with uh, Homefield with our code Locked On Sooners. That is Locked On Sooners at checkout over at homefieldapparel.com. So, Jaleel Farouk's this guy, wide receiver-wise, John, that has been described as a breakout candidate based on what happened in the Alamo Bowl. I think that makes sense to me. Going in, though, right here, right now, are you comfortable? Jaleel Farouk, that's Oklahoma's number three wide receiver behind Marvin Mims, behind Theo Weiss. Or, hey, I'm open for you to just totally – pivot things on me and say maybe Jaleel Farouk's the number two wide receiver for Oklahoma. Yeah, I don't think we're, we're at that point. I don't think we're at the point where Jaleel Farouk is the number two guy. I was on the train, the Jaleel Farouk train, throughout the spring thinking this was going to be the guy that became your slot wide receiver, took over as the wide receiver three on the team. And I still think there's potential for that. I don't think they're as comfortable – in the Oklahoma Sooners coaching staff, slotting him in there right now. That's why we have the additions of LV Bunkley Shelton from Arizona State, Javian Hester from Missouri. They wanted to add some more sub, like depth to the position, especially with guys that have slot wide receiver experience. Because Jaleel Farouk's, you know, his, his spring game wasn't all that impressive. And 
again, it's it's hard to to judge a guy on a on a spring game when he hadn't played football in four months, you know, been at practice but hadn't played like a, a game type situation in four months. It's a little bit harder to to go from to I don't know so for some guys you kind of have to have that game experience. And he only played in two games as a freshman and really only played in one game, like a substantial amount. And that was the Alamo bowl. So you're taking a freshman who only really played a substantial amount of snaps in the Alamo bowl. I mean, that's more than like a year from his last real game experience when he was in high school. And so I'm not going to completely say that he can't be the third wide receiver on this team. I'm going to say that, there's going to be a lot of competition for that because, oh yeah. And Drake Stoops is there too. Mr. Reliable, like the guy who just makes big plays for this team. Like, so that, that third wide receiver spot, I think there's going to be like a four guy race in that between Stoops and Farouk and Bunkley Shelton and Javon Hester. I think those four guys each have a, a, a good chance of kind of slotting in there in three wide receiver sets with Marvin Mims and Theo Weese on the outside. And what about a Brian Darby? You know, we've we've seen Brian Darby do some things here and there. He hasn't, I wouldn't say, had a three reception, 64 yards performance like we saw from Julio Farouk in the Alamo Bowl. But we've seen Brian Darby really kind of in a relief type role, have some some plays here and there. So I don't think that he's somebody we can totally count out for Oklahoma in terms of some production that maybe folks are not expecting. I'm with you. I mean, to me, I've said it time and time again. I think one and two for Oklahoma is, in my mind, pretty settled, pretty clear right now between Marvin Mims and Theo Weiss. And and then after that, it's, yeah, it's Jaleel Farouk. It's the transfer additions that you mentioned. It's Brian Darby. It's the signees that Oklahoma has in this class when you think of both Nick Anderson and Jaden Gibson. And that's Look, that's a lot that we just don't know from both of those two signees. One of those two guys, I mean, it's not unthinkable that they could wind up as Oklahoma's number three, number four wide receiver. I mean, you know, wide receiver is a position that you can come in and you can make an impact immediately at a place like Oklahoma. We've seen that. We saw that last season. Now, hey, the results might not have been everything you wanted and then some from Mario Williams. But again, Mario Williams was somebody that was heavily in the mix as a true freshman at Oklahoma. C.D. Lamb, not too long ago that he, as a true freshman. Now, look, I get it. You're talking about C.D. Lamb. I, I understand that. But Oklahoma has been a program that skilled guys, if if they're ready to roll as true freshmen, they can get out there and make differences as true freshmen. So, again, I've said it in the past. I'll say it again. I think both Nick Anderson and our man Jaden Gibson, I think we kind of have to be on the the lookout that both of those two players, John, they could be difference makers for Oklahoma in year one. Yeah, I think it's possible. I think it's going to be an uphill battle a little bit for them just to to break through those guys that have experience. But Jaden Gibson, he didn't look like the the lights were too bright for him in the spring game. He made big play, was targeted several times, I mean, and cashed in with a huge play. Um, you know, I want to kind of go back to L.B. Bunkley-Shelton because he's kind of the guy that I'm really like, if it's not going to be a Jalil Farouk, it's going to be this guy because, I mean, he played a significant amount of snaps for Missouri, Missouri last year. 
was targeted 43 times, um, had a 76.7% reception rate, and played 92% of his snaps out of the slot last year. And so if you're like, if you think, which I do, I think Marvin Mims is going outside, Theo Wee stays outside. If you're looking for somebody that is going to be able to step in right away and play significant snaps for Oklahoma in the slot, it's this guy. It's LV Bunkley Shelton because he's got the experience, he's got the production, and that's really what you need. Like you need at least that floor. Now, if you're telling me that's the solid floor and maybe a guy rises above that, I think Jaleel Farouk can still be that guy. I mean, we haven't even really talked about Trayvon West either, and, and he's somebody that the last coaching staff believed in so much that they were willing to throw fade, pat, fade routes to him in the end zone at the end of the Oklahoma State game. If there's not a play call that doesn't say that Lincoln Riley wasn't locked in at the end of Bedlam, it's that one right there. Why are you throwing a guy who's 5'10", fade jump balls, at the end of the end in the back of the end zone anyway but Trayvon West is a guy that can make plays for you in several several ways uh, for Oklahoma we saw it on the reverse game we saw him you know catching passes in the screen game and so that's a guy that could factor in as well on the depth chart with a guy like Brian Darby kind of in that second third tier of players for Oklahoma but I think you know it, it's going to be interesting to see like you know fall camp is about to get started they're going to start kind of ironing some of these things out and I think under Brent Venables, it's going to be like competition ongoing. Like where we sit, you know, September 3 with the depth chart, it's going to be looking very different probably when we get to November 3 because some guys will play well and some guys won't. And there'll just be, you know, constant sh- reshuffling of the depth chart as we go along. Which is how it should be on any successful football team. I mean, you'd love, right? You'd love for your rough draft to be your final draft every single year, but I, you know, that's just unrealistic that that's how things are going to play out. You, you hope that some of your rough drafting doesn't wind up in the L column for you. You hope that you can, you know, work your way through that and obviously avoid any bumps in the road before you get, you know, totally the right personnel altogether. And probably, you know, as we sit here and talk wide receiver, there's going to be, some of that shuffling of the the deck at wide receiver too. And look, you know, with all due respect to the transfer additions that Oklahoma has brought in, they absolutely could be difference makers. I'm talking mostly about LV Bunkley, who uh, you, you've talked a lot about this evening. Hey, he's got that experience. He's got that uh, work in the slot from his time at Mizzou. That's great. I don't look at that, though, and it doesn't scare me off in the sense that all of a sudden it means Farouk isn't going to get those snaps or that Farouk's not the number one guy. I do look at the transfer additions, at least from where we sit right here today. And my mind could be totally warped, right, by the time we get out of fall camp. But I don't look at any of the transfer additions and say, okay, well, this individual was brought in to take this spot. I mean, I think you hit it nail right on the head earlier when you said – you know, you're trying to add depth, and Oklahoma needed depth because of some guys that obviously left that uh, were in the wide receiver room for Oklahoma that no longer are. And I'm looking mostly at Mike Woods. I'm looking mostly at Jaden Hazelwood, and I'm looking mostly at Mario Williams. Yeah, and I, I see the transfer addition similar to the way I see, you know, the addition of Davis Bevel at quarterback. You know, it's like you have some unknowns at the position in guys that you like, and Nick Evers in particular – 
but do you feel comfortable saying that is our number two guy as we break spring? No, you didn't. And so you went and ha- you know found you know, Davis Bevel to give you a solid floor as your backup quarterback if Nick Evers isn't able to kind of usurp the backup quarterback position. I think the same thing is true for Javian Hester, LV Bunkley Shelton. It's like, okay, Jalil Farouk is a guy with a ton of talent. We like where he's at. We like how he's progressing. But are we ready to take a guy who's got, you know, a couple dozen snaps in college and say he's our number three wide receiver as we head into the fall? Maybe we don't feel that comfortable with it. We want to add some competition, make him earn a little bit more. And so we're going to add these two guys in to, to create some depth, create some competition on the depth chart. And if he rises to the occasion and he solidifies himself as the number three wide receiver, fantastic. That's what we wanted all along. If not, we've got a solid floor. We've got several guys that we can rotate in there at the position and feel really comfortable with. And so I think it was just more like hedging a little bit. Like we're not going to go into the season without an answer if these guys don't work out. And so I, I think it was just kind of smart business as, as they look at their depth chart and their roster construction is just trying to figure out, okay, what do we want for our floor in production at this position? Do we have that? No. Okay. Let's go add that just to make sure we have some security there. If our young guys don't step up like we think they're going to be, but man, it's, it's right around the corner. Like we're less than five weeks away. I think it was six Saturdays away the other day. So we're getting geared up. We're going to continue to talk about the rest of the, the roster and the position groups as we go along. We'll break down another position this week. We broke down running backs last week. So we'll make sure you check out the feed from last week to catch that episode. And we'll hit you with another positional preview later this week. But that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Sooners. Thanks so much for tuning in and making Locked On Sooners your first listen every single day. Again, we're free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. Go subscribe to the channel over there. Hit the notification bell to let you know when new episodes drop and drop a comment in the section as well. But until next time, he's Josh Helmer. I'm John Williams. Catch you then. Boomer Sooner.